Hello and welcome back to the Unreported World podcast. I'm Krishnan Gurumurthy. This week, I've been to Yemen to investigate why teenagers are on death row and why adults are being executed for crimes committed as children. We've had unprecedented access to Yemeni jails together with a young lawyer who is fighting to save the prisoners' lives. Hafid Ibrahim has unique insight into their struggle because until recently, he was on death row himself. Hafid Ibrahim is visiting jail to meet a prisoner he's defending, but he hasn't always walked in the front door. This is the last gate before we go into the prison. The first time he arrived was in the back of a prison van as a convicted killer on death row. His transformation from condemned prisoner to campaigning lawyer delights everyone he sees on his return. Prisoners and guards alike. I've never seen anything quite like it. Hafid is an absolute star here. I mean, you talk about return of the prodigal son, and, uh, and, and this is really it. Here's where I used to live. Now we're going into the cell. Hafid was only 16 when he was sentenced to death for killing someone. It was an accident but he spent seven years waiting to be executed. There were 40 people in this room. This was my bed, my last bed before I was freed. Now he's back to fight for others who've been given the death penalty for things they're accused of doing as children. When you were here for seven years, night after night, did you ever dream that one day you would be coming back here as a lawyer? It's a miracle. They were daydreams. There was no hope that I'd ever get out, only dreams. Hafid is here to defend Abdurrahman al-Alimi, a boy accused of murder. It's alleged he shot his brother-in-law in a family feud. This happened in the village, right? There was nothing between us. I've been framed and I'm afraid I'll get a death sentence. He denies the killing and in any case says he was 16 at the time. Yemeni law says that anyone under 18 cannot be sentenced to death. But prosecutors are claiming Abdurrahman is older than he says, old enough for the death penalty. Don't worry at all. You have more than one way out. Thank God your case is stronger than mine was. Get it out of your head that you're going to be executed. In more than a year in jail, this is the first time anyone's offered hope to Abdurrahman. With a court appearance this week, he's convinced he needs Hafid Ibrahim. Should I appoint you to be my lawyer? Tell him to prepare an authorization document. It's only a short walk from the cells to the execution spot where Hafid was once taken and told his time was up. He 
The doctor had already marked the position of my heart. When I lay down, the executioner was going to shoot me. His insistence that he was a juvenile was heard by the authorities just in time. He was given a reprieve. I heard a call come in to the government representative. It was three minutes before the execution. He ordered that I should be taken back. As you walked away from here, what did you think? I had come back from death. I was given a new life. I felt like I was born again. In many ways, this whole country is being born again. The Arab Spring forced out a regime that held power for three decades. But it hasn't ended the execution of those who say they committed crimes as juveniles. At least two have been shot since December. Hafid hopes that hard evidence to prove Abdurrahman's age will save him. Well, I've come with Hafid to this children's rights organisation. They've got some key documents that he needs for the court case on Saturday. This is Abdul Rahman's birth certificate, proving that he was born in 1995. So do you think these documents could actually save his life? One million percent. These are official documents issued by the government. There can be no argument. This picture was taken a year before I went to prison. And this is when you came out? That's amazing. Hafid believes he should never have been convicted for what happened to him. Yemeni teenagers are given guns as a sign of maturity, and Hafid was mugged one day while carrying his. In the scuffle, the weapon went off, killing an innocent bystander. I had no intention of killing him, but the weapon was in my hands. I didn't mean to kill their son. On his release, Hafid studied law, mostly to help his friends graduating in 2011. One of his professors turned out to be the very judge who had sentenced him to death. I told him I was subject to a verdict approved in the Supreme Court. He said that can't be. I told him, you signed the verdict. In front of the students, he confessed it might have been a mistake. But it's the case of his best friend, Mohammed Hazar, that has left Hafid almost possessed by the need to fight every case he can. When Mohammed was told he was about to be shot, Hafed took the case back to court and won a last-minute stay of execution. So I ran from the prosecutor's office. I was so happy. But the message didn't reach the executioner in time. I called the chief to stop the execution. He said, I'm sorry. The execution has already been carried out. Before he died, Hafid's friend told him about Abdurrahman, the boy we've just met. We talked the day before his execution. He said, there's a child here called Abdurrahman. He said, if something happens to me, please take care of him. That's why you do it. That's why I'm taking this seriously. Muhammad didn't live. Abdul Rahman will. Today's court hearing is to settle Abdul Rahman's age. 
Hafford's been up half the night preparing his case, but he's worried he could be up against judges in the Islamic court who simply reject his evidence. The main problem is they don't recognize official documents. They don't accept the killer as a child. The judges and prosecutors break the law to get the execution verdict. Corruption is a constant problem in Yemen, and it corrodes the judicial system. Yemen's courts are open to journalists, and we are initially given permission to film. But once they realize the case and issue we're covering, everything changes. Well, the prisoners were all assembled, the judge was there and the lawyers, uh, and then when they heard that we were there and wanting to report proceedings, they decided to adjourn everything, cancel the day, send everybody home. The judge claims he's adjourning the session because the court note-taker hasn't turned up. Abdul Rahman, don't worry, we're doing everything we can. On the phone, Abdul Rahman tells Hafid that the court note-taker had in fact been standing right next to him. Hafid is exasperated. They work like gangsters. They do things under the table. They work outside the law. But they want to hide it, especially from the cameras. It all fits with something else that happened inside the court. The judge asked Hafid for a share of whatever he's being paid. He said in front of other people, let's split the payment in half. This was a hint about how things would have to work in Abdul Rahman's case. In fact, the same judge also asked us for money if we wanted to film. Is that normal for a judge to ask for a bribe in a case? I know of cases that are settled under the table like this, but the way he was so open in front of others was a shock. Hello. While Hafid is heading home, a prisoner called Faisal al-Hadi in the city of Ib rings desperate for help. They are going to carry out the verdict on Wednesday? Yes. And you have medical reports to prove that you're young? Yes. Faisal is to be executed in days. He claims he was a juvenile at the time of his crime 15 years ago. He's convicted of murder. There's no time. He's isolated in a cell, which shows that they will implement the sentence. With no time to lose, Hafid heads straight to Ib. Five hours' drive from the capital, Sana'a, heading south towards parts of Yemen where the government is battling al-Qaeda for control. No one's heard of Hafid here. To these guards, He's just another troublesome lawyer. They casually confirm the prisoner Faisal is to be executed in four days and he's being held in solitary confinement. And Faisal's here. But Mohsin Amer, the chief prison guard, refuses Hafid access to his client. Can you guarantee that nothing will happen? Yes, we can. 
The guy is dangerous. Let me see him, let me see him. Hafid's on the phone to the prosecutor for this area, trying to explain to him that he is his lawyer and he has a right to meet the client, especially when he's about to be executed in four days' time. But he keeps getting knocked back. Hafid says the prosecutor is insisting he has to be present during the meeting between lawyer and client. Is that legal? No, the law states that the lawyer has the right to meet the accused in private. Perhaps trying to distract us from Faisal, who they clearly dislike, the guards bring a parade of other juvenile cases they think are more deserving. Like Abdul Tahami, who's been sentenced to death for what he says was an accidental shooting, despite having school records showing he's still only 17. And then I turn myself into the police. Now they want to kill me. Hafid listens to the story and takes the case on the spot. Tell them to authorise me. Then we hear shouting, which sounds like it's coming from Faisal's cell in solitary confinement. What's he shouting? Hafid. Hafid, Hafid? This is disrespect. Get out. The chief prison guard, Mohsin, is furious that Hafid is trying to talk to his client. Enough. Enough. He throws Hafid out of the jail. I must not remain silent about this violation. It's my duty to do all I can to help. Well, I mean, he's had a hell of a day. I mean, really difficult in court, his case adjourned, comes to try and save a prisoner who is potentially four days away from being executed and he's thrown out of the jail and not given access to his prisoner. It's, uh, well, it's another world. The next morning, I return to Ib prison. Once again, the guards won't let me see Faisal, but I do meet the man he'll face if Hafid can't save him. Salah Shamsuddin, the executioner. How many people do you think you've executed in your time here? Only 600 or 700 people. Shamsuddin is a soldier and says he's the only one who's been prepared to do the executions in Ib for 18 years. I bring the prisoner here and let them pray. The doctor draws a mark on the prisoner and then I execute them. How do you feel about what you do? I'm laughing, eating, drinking. I'm comfortable. I execute one or two, then I go to sleep. You don't have nightmares? What nightmare? You're a nightmare. The dark humour is Shamsuddin's trademark. Perhaps the only way for him to live with his job. He certainly isn't revealing any qualms. How many more years do you have to work before you retire? I must finish whatever's inside. Yeah, <laughs> 
Hey, Faisal, I want to reassure you, don't be afraid, God willing. معالي النائب العام المحترم تحية طيبة وبعد الموضوع طلب تكليف لقناة من نيابة To the respected general prosecutor, this is a request for an investigation into the mistreatment of the prisoners in Ib prison, including Faisal Al Hadi. What do you think this letter is going to achieve? We'll be able to meet Faisal and, God willing, let him show his evidence. Some people watching this might say, why are you giving all your energy to save bad people, people who kill? Judges call it crime, but they are often nothing but mistakes. Real crimes rarely happen. Most killings are unintentional. Hafid's request to the general prosecutor is successful. He returns to Ib prison with a vengeance. Faisal's being kept in a dark cell with this one small opening for light and air. After 15 years on death row, a grim way to spend what could be his last days. One week ago, they told me to prepare for my execution and I was put in solitary. Who told you you were going to be executed? The chief guard, Musan Omer. Do you think he was just frightening you? Or do you think they were really going to execute you? No, this is for real. And I know there's no rule of law here. Faisal, come. Hafid tells Faisal that he secured a guarantee from the prosecutor that he won't be executed, for this week at least. Well, Hafid's in no doubt that the threat against Faisal to execute him right here on this spot, actually, was very real, um, could still be real once the fuss around him has died down. But he's determined to fight the case. Look at these two reports. There's no birth certificate to prove Faisal was a juvenile at the time of his crime 15 years ago, but he does have medical reports supporting his claim. Take off eight years from 23. My age was 15. He says he's being singled out by the guards because he stands up for the rights of prisoners and starts hurling accusations immediately. I speak the truth. For example, that man over there, they beat him last night. Please come here. Is he, is he telling the truth about you? What did the soldiers do to you last night? They beat you. Did they beat you or not? With sticks? They beat him with sticks. All the guards joined in. Turn off the camera. Switch it off. The prison guards are furious and chases all out of the prison, trying to grab the camera. Faisal is thrown back into solitary. Again? What is going on? The guards are upset because someone is standing by Faisal, and now it's possible that Faisal won't be executed, but they insist that Faisal should be executed. Well, I mean, that was just a bizarre moment, really. I mean, we've got all the permission 
that we need to film the prison system, and they are their own worst enemies. They're just throwing us out for no good reason other than the fact that they hate that prisoner. Mohsin Omer, the chief prison guard, has since lost his job over this incident. With so many people on death row claiming to have been juveniles, I go to a senior judge at the Ministry of Justice, Abdul Karim Ba'abad. Do you think the trouble is that judges in Yemeni courts are ignoring the law? All judges must follow the rule of law, but maybe some do not understand the law relating to this matter. He explains that before Yemen banned the death penalty for juveniles in 2002, Islamic law treated anyone over 15 as an adult, and old habits die hard. So you're saying that Yemeni judges don't understand Yemeni law? That's, that's appalling. It's their duty to comply. There were different practices before Yemen's laws were changed and they might be the source of the problem. A lot of people that we've encountered have been accusing the judges themselves of corruption. We met various judges. One of them asked us directly for a bribe. Would you be shocked to hear those sorts of things? Our justice system and judges are well respected. If you encounter such a situation, that doesn't mean our judge system is like this just because of one individual. Visiting time at Hafford's old prison. News of Hafford's work is spreading fast. Streams of prisoners approach him. Fifteen more cases have come forward, all on death row or in fear of death row, and they're all either juveniles or people who were juveniles at the time of the crime. They all want Hafford now to take on their cases. Abdurrahman's mother has made a long journey she can barely afford to see her son. She's brought Hafford more documents to prove Abdurrahman's age. Excellent. And this is your primary school certificate from year one? You have them until year five, certificate after certificate. You don't know the state I'm in. Each day is like a thousand years. I stay awake all night thinking. I don't work, I don't eat. Please don't worry, Mum. There are people now working to help us. With a stack of promises to keep, doing everything in his own time for no pay, I leave wondering how Hafford will cope with a growing pile of cases. But it's clear he feels he has no choice. Having escaped injustice himself, he's now trapped by a compulsion to help others do the same. Sometimes when I'm playing with my daughter, I remember that there are prisoners waiting for help. I feel a jolt. I'm happy that I can do something to help, but sad that this misery is out there. It's a big worry.
This Unreported World podcast is part of an extensive programme archive that you can watch from anywhere in the world by visiting the website at channel4.com forward slash unreported world. You'll also discover behind the scenes footage, exclusive articles and details on how to join the Unreported World conversation on Twitter and Facebook. Until next week, from me, Krishnan Guru Murthy, goodbye. <laughs>